Hi, this is Ken Fagels. I played Ken Cade in Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3 and 4 on the Great Horror Squad podcast. Squad podcast episode number 292. Tonight we're talking about the late great director Wes Craven's entire filmography, or as close as we can get to it. I'm one of your co-host Todd. We have Steve. We have Joe. Men, boys, fellas, hermanos. What's up? Hello. How's everyone doing tonight? Can't wait to talk. My boy Wes Craven. I know Steve and Todd, Nightmare on Elm Street series haters. So glad to finally <laughs> talk about the rest of Wes Craven's filmography tonight. Well. <laughs> haters, but all right, okay. Yeah, I'm I'm very excited because, like, I, these episodes. So we, this is only my second retrospective after Stuart Gordon. They're probably the most amount of work because I have to really like find these movies, and you know, for me personally, it's like a challenge to watch them all, um, and some of them to track them where it was not easy uh, fireworks woman for example uh, i went to the american national archives and uh found it there for free so if anyone wants the link hit us up i will send you the link to that but um yeah it's fun you know it's cool to see kind of the stuff that i didn't know from west craven because i hadn't actually watched a ton of his films you know I've, obviously i've seen the nightmares and i've seen scream and uh, hills have eyes and that kind of stuff but there's a lot of stuff that I'd never seen, so I'm pretty psyched to talk about it because I do have a lot of thoughts about Mr. Craven's career and uh, what a prolific career it, it was. I mean, we go from pornos to Disney films to horror films. Back to so. pornos. <laughs> yeah, back to pornos. It's like... I'm going to go on a limb here and no spoilers, don't answer, but I'm going to think you prefer Stu and Gordon's career over Wes Craven's. I'm going to go say that right now. That's my prediction. Well, we'll talk about it at the end. We'll see nice. you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. Uh, and w- one last thing before we get into our Wes Craven retrospective, I wanted to mention our event again, October 20th through the 22nd, Salem, Massachusetts. I think next week we should be able to announce a big piece of it as long as some of the cast that is going to be there for the event. The um, we had a magazine ad go out to print, and once that magazine finally gets released, we'll be able to announce something. But if you're a member of our Discord, we teased a little more over there. So if you haven't joined our Discord yet, uh, get over there, check out the um, Horror Squad Podcast Events channel, and you'd be able to get a little more of a tease over there. But hopefully next week, if not definitely the week after, I think. Um, we'll be able to really give you most of the details of that. So stay tuned. Can't wait to talk about it, man. Like, so when we did the event last year, I started following a bunch of Salem groups because Joe posted on every Salem group imaginable to promote it last year. And I'm still, I just never took them off, you know, my Facebook. And I see a lot of people like, hey, I'm going to Salem October, you know, 20 to 22nd. Uh, you guys recommend anything? And I'm just like biting my lips, like, oh my God, I wish I could tell you about especially like certain groups that I think would even be more, but anyway, I, it's going to be awesome and definitely book, you know, your tickets or hotel or whatever for that weekend. Cause Holy shit, the stuff that you guys are planning. Um, and a huge credit to Joe 
man, there's like 800 emails on this fucking thing. And I don't know how Joe makes sense of it. Like, I just go through them and eventually I'm like, ah, Joe, I'll take care of it. And he'll give me the, the recap later because it's it's crazy. There's so many threads and people involved. And yeah, so huge, huge shout out to Joe for kind of reeling it in. Good job, Joe. Yeah. I, think, I think you found your next calling, dude. Maybe entertainment <laughs> promoter. Planner. I mean, it's always been a dream of mine to do stars. something like that. I, you know, I, I thought I had done that at one point with the infamous convention that ended up going belly up. Um, unfortunately, not your but fault though. No, not, no, not, not even, of course not, close, not, no, yeah. not even close to being my fault. I was just asked to kind of book it and help them see it. And then, yeah, they, they ghosted everyone and it turned into a disaster Did unfortunately they recoup, recoup money for that from no nah, i mean i think a lot of people got fucked on that unfortunately Jeez. yeah and they completely disappeared i mean they even i mean not to get too deep into it but i mean they ran i mean i'm not gonna like throw out the names and stuff but they ha also had a you know a shop too online and like a lot of people didn't even get their products and stuff like basically i think that i mean they get went over their head they got over their heads on that convention and i think it bankrupt them and then they couldn't even fulfill like orders like people like had ordered like 500 chucky dolls and they weren't getting it delivered and stuff so it was a disaster all around for that but i'm really excited for this event a lot going on the strike obviously unfortunately has hindered a little bit but man we've really come through and found workarounds to be able to still put on an amazing weekend of events and if the strike somehow does end um before this we can add even more to the event so stay tuned but even as is i mean you guys are i think are going to love this especially if you were privy to last year's event and i'll leave it at that absolutely all right you guys are ready to get into our little Wes Craven retrospective. Yeah, let's do it. Well, honestly, I'm having trouble thinking because I'm obsessed with the fucking Texas Chainsaw Massacre video game. <laughs> okay, like, yeah. So I feel like playing this game right now. Yeah, and also shout out to our listeners and another reason to join the Discord. We've had a couple impromptu Texas Chainsaw Massacre game game nights. And uh, I, I did one on the Friday, I think. Todd did one on the Saturday. And it was, was a so fucking fun. ton of fun, man. We laughed and we just joked around and made fun of each other for like different things happening in the game. And it, we had such a blast. And, and nothing like, you know, mean spirit at all. We're just having a ton yeah. of fun. None of us are good at it. It's just it's hilarious. And yeah, and we're gonna keep doing that. You know, it's there's a lot of horror games coming out, and you know, we've talked shit about these this type of game, but at, with friends and with like people you know. Holy shit, it's it's so much fun. Yeah, so it's a blast, yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And um, how's our boy Damien? Excellent. Have you, you recognized yeah, playing, playing Johnny? He, yeah, he's super fast. He's got this tackle move that uh will always like make the uh, the killers like pissed off. It's, it's great. Yeah, I fucking hate Johnny and Missy. They're the overpowered of the killers, but oh man, it's 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 good, man. It's cinematic. I and I highly recommend it. Plus if you got Game Pass, it's free essentially. So uh grab the Xbox, download it, and hit us up because we'll play, man. Exactly. No. All right. Wes Craven. So Wes Craven, born August 2nd, 1939, unfortunately passed away August 30th, 2015, at the age of 76. One of the most legendary 
directors in horror history, spearheaded two of the biggest franchises in all of horror. So I think it was a logical choice to uh, do his career. But at the same time, as I discovered through this uh, exercise, even though people are very like well-versed in his more popular films, he does have a lot of films that I think some of them don't get enough love and they absolutely should. Some of them you're like, huh, Wes Craven did this, huh? I would not have expected it. So I think uh, it'll be fun to go through his filmography. And we're really focusing on his uh, like director stuff, you know, because he has written a lot of films, he's produced a lot of films. But I think for this exercise, we're really focusing on the movies he actually directed himself. So you won't see um, some of the, you know, Nightmare on Elm Streets. He only did two of them and stuff like that. So I think that's the best way to go forward with this. So are you guys ready to go into his uh, filmography? Yeah, absolutely. And I have one question before we begin. Do you guys Mm -hmm. remember what film you watched in his honor when it was announced that he passed? Yeah, Nightmare on Elm Street for me. Elm Street? Mm-hmm. Same, yeah. Nightmare on Elm Street. Just, it's just the movie. I think that yeah. is synonymous with him. Although some people might say Scream. I'll I did, always. I did Scream first. Nightmare on Elm yeah. Street. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so Scream's like when he perfected his art to me. You know, it's like he he learned a lot of stuff. Actually, uh, one of the movies that we'll talk about. Uh, apparently, without that movie, Scream would have never happened. And you know, sometimes you learn from your failures. And the movie that I will talk about later was a failure and it's what he learned from that that made scream what it is today so you never know uh the fireworks woman no <laughs> it, it should be but uh yeah no it's not so let's go right at the start i know this is one oh yeah we haven't like the three of us haven't seen every movie i i did but joe and todd didn't so sometimes they'll kind of chime in sometimes they won't but i know this is one we've all seen uh you guys i think even yeah, you did. You reviewed it on the kind of old podcast, Three Guys at Horror, and that is his directorial debut, The Last House on the Left. So what do you guys think of this one? Yeah, we did, and we also had the guy that played... Oh, shoot, what's his name? Rabbit? We did. Rabbit, yeah. Uh, Rabbit guy, yeah. Yeah. Yes, uh, who was uh, Mark Scheffler, who played Junior. Ah, Junior, that's right. Yes, we did. Um, I I really, really like Last House on the Left, 1972. So how old was he then? What did you What did you just say he was born? Uh, let's see. It was in the th- oh 39. So 30 something. Yeah. 39. Up there. 69. Okay, so he was like in 33? his 30s. Yeah. Yeah. So he was 33 30s. when he made. Yeah. So he was in his early 30s when he started his career in directing. And yeah, I mean, I think you know, I've heard that this he kind of made this movie when after like his, I believe he was in the war, or he you know had some things to say about sort of the war um, in Vietnam, I believe it was. So he created sort of this movie to kind of discuss kind of the horrors of war and stuff like that subtly. But yeah, so I mean, I really enjoy Last House on the Left. Obviously it's disturbing to watch and whatnot but i think it is so gritty so raw and yeah i mean it it made my top 10 of the 1970s list and that's a testament i you know it's it's brutal to watch obviously there's just you know it's some tough material to get through but i think it's it just it just feels so authentic and i think it's a great uh directorial debut for this guy and 
yeah, man, like when they, when the parents finally like find out that the people that are in their house are the ones that raped and murdered their daughter, like it just, oh man, it's, it's crazy. And then the revenge that they exact, like that they exact on them. It's amazing. And it's so satisfying. And yeah, so he does like a good job of conveying like everything in that movie. So it's, yeah, it's personally one of my, one of my favorites of his. Yeah, it didn't make my top 70s list, but it's not a bad film by any means. One of my biggest issues with it is the out-of-place comedy, especially around the cop characters and the kind of the goofball uh, music that goes in there. And I know they put that in there to like break the tension and everything, but this movie is so, as Joe said, like gritty and dirty. It just makes you feel, it's one of those films like from the 70s, like, you know, TCM or whatever, that makes you feel just gross rape and sexual assault is never fun to watch and in this movie it's it's pretty rough you know you got these young girls that are naive and you know somewhat innocent and they just get mixed in with the wrong crew and you know when they're going into that house for drugs i believe it is marijuana that there something's bad could happen because we know these guys are pieces of shit but they don't know that yet and then they immediately just set upon them because they're prey to them but one performance that stands out to me is david hess is krug man the dude is like a force to be reckoned with he's just the intensity that he brings to his character especially when he has junior fucking kill himself is just like insane so last house on the left not my favorite by his or the 70s but one of those movies that i think everyone needs to watch just for its disgustingness yeah last house on the left was never one of my favorites so it wasn't even like considered for my top of the 70s and i think in big portion is because i don't like watching films about sexual assault and rape and this movie that's like kind of one of the main focuses of this movie now thankfully there's a good revenge so it kind of helps a little bit uh to swallow that difficult pill but it's just never one of my favorites because of that and i also found the editing a little sloppy in this movie i remember it like really kind of striking me as the edits weren't tight and wes craven is a pretty good editor himself which you know he does a lot of editing in his movies surprisingly and um yeah i bet this is also an early one right so that that's kind of part of his learning curve and being his first kind of big film so i do respect it but it was never one of my favorites personally and i think it's more subject matter than the actual like you know quality of the film it's just the way it is i guess yeah, um, i agree it's like movies like i spit on your grave they're good films but like it's hard to enjoy you know just for the brutality of of that stuff yeah it's like torture porn right and it's just never that's not one of my like favorite horror sub genres i guess uh, okay so going into second movie this is one i watched that you guys didn't uh probably one of his most uh like interesting movies on his filmography. And that is 1975's The Fireworks Woman. So the reason this is an interesting film in his filmography is because A, he is not known as Wes Craven in this movie. He is credited as Abe Snake, which was his porn name because believe it or not, his career started as a porn editor. So that's where his film career really started. He edited about four or five porn films, and he decided that he wanted to write, direct, and star in, yes, you heard that correctly, star in his own pornographic film, which is called The Fireworks Woman. Hold this up. Movie... Wes Craven shows Dong in this? No, <laughs> no. And that's <laughs> that, that, That's where I'm getting at. It's um, 
this is a fucking weird movie. Uh, it's almost worth watching just to see how weird it is. I mean, we have a girl having sex with a stick. We have uh, a girl having sex with a, with a very, like, really older couple. We have orgies. We have nice. a lot of bush. We have all sorts of things going on. It's, I mean, it's a porno. You know, don't don't get twisted. This this is like a 70s, pretty hardcore porno. Um, so, you know, don't expect some big story out of here. But having seen that Wes Craven is also the star of this movie, I was really curious, like, does he... Does he get down? Does he, you know, does he bring the fireworks to the show? And I will say that, yes, he does bring the fireworks, but not in the way you would expect. So you see his character pop out throughout the film, but he's just kind of in the background for most of the film. And the whole film culminates in this big orgy. And all these people, they're having sex and everything. And then Wes Craven shows up outside the house where they're having the orgy. And no joke, just shoots out fireworks. For absolutely no reason at all, he's just outside the house where the orgy is happening, shooting fireworks. Hence the name of the movie, The Fireworks Woman. It is such a weird fucking scene. It just cuts from the orgy to the fireworks. Orgy to the fireworks. It makes no sense at all. It's it's hilarious at how bad this movie is. I, I think people should watch it. You know, if you like Wes Craven, I think this is one you need to add under your cap. Like I said, it's on the National Archives. And if you need the link, just hit me up or hit the podcast up and I'll... I'll send you the link. I sent it to Discord, and I know a few people watched it and thought it was hilarious as well. So that's the fireworks woman, nineteen seventy-five. Maybe it was an art art piece where the fireworks represented the male genitalia. Maybe it just it, it was just weird. You know, it's just such a. <laughs> He's having like, a good time, dude. They yeah, had a, they had extra film left over. Like, fuck it, let's film. I, I guess so. It's oh, such a weird movie. But no, he doesn't show, uh, you know, schlong or dong or anything. He's fully clothed, just shooting fireworks in the backyard. But going back to his horror horror filmography, he hits another big swing here with The Hills Have Eyes from 1977. I know you guys seen that one. So what do you guys think of that? Yeah, I mean, The Hills Have Eyes, it didn't make my top 10 of the 70s, but it did make my honorable mentions list. And yeah, I mean, the main reason is because the remake I find to be the better of the two movies. However, that remake would have never happened if it wasn't for Wes Craven and this movie. And this is still obviously a good movie in its own right. You know, I feel like he definitely is progressing as a director from last house on the left to this one once again we have a just an absolute brutal scene in the camper with the family once again really i mean he just another just absolutely brutal rape scene in this one as well but man that whole fucking scene just like the father getting set on fire and i mean the whole fucking it's just so it's just so 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 brutal just another movie that just kind of is raw and tough to watch but the cannibals are all like really cool in it like they their makeups are all great and non-makeups uh, you know uh you know all the cannibals just look look crazy in this and great and yeah overall just it's a it's a really good watch and you know watching the family or what's left of them get the revenge on the cannibals is just so satisfying yeah, I'm noticing a trend though. There's three movies, three rapes, which is strange. So I don't know about that. But uh, I mean, this movie it made number ten in my '70s list, and yeah, for all the reasons Joe mentioned, and I gotta add one more is Michael Berryman. 
like what a fucking find he was as a not only like a really nice guy outside of movies but as a, like a, a fucking force you know a, a, someone that when you're on screen you're gonna watch him because he's just so cool and for him like his struggles uh, physically like he not being able to sweat and he's out there in the desert humping his like all this shit around and run around and stuff like respect to him uh but yeah the movie's gritty it's uh sleazy and it's good yeah i i like this one too like joe it was an honorable mention on my 70s list and i i think it's a good movie you know unlike uh, last house on the left the rape isn't like the focus point of this movie uh it's more of the fact that these you mutants are killing off the people on the bus that get stranded in that area. It's a really thrilling movie. There's a lot going on. I, like you said, absolutely great find with Michael Berryman and really one of the sweetest people you could ever meet. Just such a genuinely nice guy if you meet him at cons and he does quite a few of them. I'm glad actually he got to be in the remake as well because he is uh, really deserving. And uh, yeah, I do absolutely like this film. This is one of my favorites of Wes Craven's filmography uh, outside of kind of his main two franchises. Um, I don't like, anyway, we'll talk about the sequel a little bit later, but uh, yeah, this is, it's a good one. And if you haven't seen it, I would highly recommend it. Moving on to 1978. It is Stranger in Our House, AKA Summer uh, of Fear. So I know Joe, you watch it. Todd, did you watch uh, Summer of Fear? I, I did not. Yeah, so Stranger in Our House, a.k.a. Summer of Fear, this was a made-for-TV movie from Wes Craven, his first of a few. And yeah, this one, so this one's like, okay, I definitely feel like this is one that Craven kind of just took a job, you know, to you know, for a means to get to something a little more creative for him. Um, this one does star Linda Blair, though, so horror fans will know her best. We also get a Fran Drescher, young Fran Drescher appearance in this one as well. But yeah, I mean, this one, you know, it, it's about sort of, you know, Linda Blair's character uh, dealing with this girl that I think it's like a cousin or something that moves into the house and she thinks she's a witch and is kind of putting a hex on her. It's definitely has like that made for TV movie vibe. I mean, it's fine. I, you know, I said it, it's an okay watch. Is it anything I'll ever watch again? Absolutely not. But, you know, I, I wish they did more with like the witch sort of with the witch character because it started getting kind of good towards the end but they just didn't like do enough like with her powers and stuff like that and they focused like on linda blair riding horses for a lot of this movie um but yeah yeah i mean okay one time watch i gave it a two and a half out of five over on my little so which we probably should have been doing that we, i don't know if we should have been rating these the whole way through but maybe we can do that after this one <laughs> Yeah, sure. Absolutely. And I actually feel the exact same way you do. It takes a long time for this movie to get started. You know, like Joe said, you have Linda Blair kind of just riding horses for a long time. So the story is basically her integrating with a family of five. And she's kind of the odd woman out because she's a little weird. She's into witchcraft and they're kind of reasons that she wants to integrate herself with that family. But to establish that, it takes a solid hour. So after an hour, you're kind of like, okay, let's 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 move along here. You've barely touched on the witchcraft and just touched on kind of family drama. But that last 15, 20 minutes, it really ramps up. And it's unfortunate it took so long to get there because it could have been a lot better. Um, it's one I'm glad I watched. I had not seen this until I did this retrospective. You know, I 
really just never thought twice about it. You know, I heard of it, but it's just one of those things that you kind of hear about and then forget about. So I also gave it two and a half stars out of five. It Linda Blair is a great actress, you know, that's kind of close to when she played Reagan. So it's cool to see her kind of still in that in that age range because once she got older, she changed her the way she acts a lot. So yeah, I, I think this is one people should seek out and uh yeah, it's pretty good. All right. Moving on to his next film. We are going into the 80s now with 1981's Deadly Blessing. Yeah, man. I this might be Craven's most interesting movie, honestly. Just because, man, he really went experimental, I feel like, on this one. It's fucking bizarre. Um, so this movie deals with sort of like a Mennonite family and a a feud, like a family feud sort of between them. But man, it, it the movie is just so fucking bizarre and all over the place, along with maybe one of the craziest twists I've ever seen in a movie and one that I I didn't even remotely see coming. It's the problem is it's like really unfocused, but you see a lot of what Craven is is heading towards. Um there is a great there's a scene in here that is almost identical to the Nightmare on Elm Street bathtub scene that he ends up perfecting a few years later, but it is great. It was great. It was such a treat because to see this, I watched this just for the uh, retrospective. I had never seen it before, but yeah, I mean, you have uh, Michael Berryman also returning here. Um, and you see him a few other times in Craven's uh, career, but yeah, he plays uh, an interesting sort of character here. You got Ernest Borgnine in here as well as sort of the evil, uh, you know, dad character, which was really interesting. And then you get Sharon Tate in here that is completely like a throwaway character. It is so interesting. It was like kind of before she took off in her career. But overall, you know, I did enjoy this one just for how kind of crazy it does get and stuff like that. But unfortunately, the ending is fucking bananas and really makes no sense um and i i i wish that we got a little more clarity with the ending but i think this is definitely worth a watch if you've never seen it especially if you are um a fan of craven so i i gave this one a three out of five just to clarify it's uh sharon stone not sharon, sharon tate <laughs> oh i'm sorry yeah that's right yeah, big, sharon, difference. Big, big difference yeah, yeah. big difference <laughs> Yeah, so uh, I have it as a three to five on Letterbox, but honestly, I don't understand. I don't remember a single thing. So I'm wondering if I accidentally rated it because I was listening to you talk and I'm looking at the cast. I'm like, this none of this rings a bell. So I will defer to Steve. Yeah, uh, again, um, I think Joe and I are really like on the same page with a lot of these. Uh, there are a lot of interesting ideas that uh, they have in this movie, and I even wrote in my review as well. You definitely see kind of the roots of Wes Craven's future ideas in this movie. And there's some really cool stuff about it, but it's so messy and unfocused. There are so many things that he's throwing into this movie that it's just like, if he had just picked like two of those things and just focus on those, the movie would have been maybe a four out of five. But there's just so many things thrown into this and random elements that don't come together in a satisfactory way. So I gave it two out of five because it's just it's it's like parts of a movie and not an entire movie. But there are great performances, uh, some memorable scenes in here, and uh, I'm glad I watched it. You know, as part of his of this retrospective because I hadn't seen this one either. 
it's just it's just too bad that it, it wasn't focused enough but again like a, some of his other movies later i think you could tell that he was brewing something for the future of his career and um is this is where really you start to see kind of west craven's cravenisms i guess you could say uh, so it, it's significant for god maybe worth watching for that reason alone moving on to 1982 this is probably the movie i was most psyched to re to watch sorry because i i think i had seen it as a kid but i wasn't 100 percent sure and i was really interested in seeing it and that is swamp thing which is of course a dc character so have you guys seen swamp thing unfortunately yeah yeah, I I didn't rewatch it for the retrospective, but I've seen Swamp Thing uh, a couple times in my lifetime, uh, mainly for Adrian Barbeau. I was always a fan of her, yeah. so that was the main reason I checked it out. And hey, Adrian Barbeau in this one too, you get a little something, oh, yeah. something. But oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, man, it was so it's interesting to see like um, you know Wes Craven do a take on sort of a comic book superhero uh, type character here, and you know I. It's not good. Um, the makeup is is terrible, honestly, in this movie. And honestly, at, at the end of the day, it's just boring. Like it's just it's just there's just nothing really great going on here. It's disappointing because I I feel like Swamp Thing, like, has never really had a great adaptation. I, I know like the Derek Mears one gets a little bit of love. I never you know really jumped on that train, and I know it did get canceled far too early. But yeah, I still think there's there's something out there for Swamp Thing. But Craven's version, not great. I gave it I give it a two out of five. Like I I found like some sort of enjoyment out of it because I think Adrian Barbeau does give a pretty solid performance. But and you know it's cool enough to see the Swamp Thing, you know, killing, doing some killing action and people being on fire and shit. But overall, yeah, not great. Yeah, David Hess is in it. Ray Wise is in it. Ray Wise is a treat. Like whenever he's in a movie, I love that guy. <sighs> yeah, I mirror exactly what Joe said. The pacing's terrible. The creature design is awful. Adrian Barbone and Icon, though, that's amazing. But yeah, overall, the movie is just—it's not good. I gave it a one out of one out of five. Yeah, I mirror I mirror a lot of that. Again, Adrian Barbo, fantastic in this movie. And because I live in Canada, I actually have a different cut than the Americans do of this movie. So you got the boob cut. I got the boob cut because oh, it. it's it's considered the European cut, but I think it's the international cut in reality because it seems anywhere outside of North America, you get the good stuff. So very good for that. I also like kind of the relationship she has with, like she has like this kid that follows her around that she kind of helps and saves because of the, kid's uh, weird, man. the swamp thing. But I thought the kid was good. And I, I like that little relationship that those two, like the bond that they form throughout this adventure. I agree. Swamp Thing does not look good in this movie, but he looks way better than the other transformation in this movie, which is when the bad guy transform into whatever the fuck he does. Holy shit. That is some bad makeup right there just it's a weird film and it didn't do swamp thing any any justice at all thankfully they're rebooting that franchise under james gunn's dc so i'm curious to see what they do with it but for now if you want to see a swamp creature i would recommend man thing which is they made a movie in like 2013 2003 or 2013 i forget which of the two and also in uh, werewolf by night you get some really cool stuff in there uh, with man thing so those are preferable to this 
film, which I actually watched the sequel to as well. And it does not improve. I gave it uh, one and a half stars out of five. So moving on, we are going to 1984. And this is another TV movie that he made called Invitation to Hell. Have you guys seen Invitation to Hell? I have. Yeah, Invitation to Hell is uh is an interesting one. I mean, this guy, I forget exactly what he's doing, but he gets invited to like this high society kind of neighborhood where it's you get invited to the country club and you're one of the boys and things like that. And then like just people start fucking acting weird and like people stand in the middle of the street and just stare at people and it turns out that um there's a twist at the end that I actually really liked. Is it a perfect movie? Absolutely not. Does it have that vibe of the made for TV film? definitely but i still gave it a solid three out of five yeah so invitation to hell is actually one that surprised me a little bit it's a cool like metaphor on how evil capitalism can become it's this guy that basically gets wooed to this uh you know high society place like todd had said and then he starts trying as he gets integrated into this high society he starts finding out that there are some weird things going on in the background and there's this door that leads into like something special and they kind of tease this door throughout the film and i was really into it like i was really curious like what are these people hiding what's their real like deal why are they trying to woo this guy into their society so in that respect i thought the movie was super interesting and i was really into it but unfortunately it drops the ball in the final act and that is why I think my score ended up being lower. What's behind the door, and I won't spoil it, partly because I don't really remember, but I won't spoil it either. Um, it wasn't interesting. You know, it was something really boring and really dull. And I remember that for sure. It was just like, why are they setting up this whole movie to give us that as a reveal? So, you know, it's one that's two thirds of the way very good. And then just drops the ball, unfortunately, in the last act. So I gave it two and a half stars because I was really into it, you know, throughout the whole film because I was so interested. It's just unfortunately that they couldn't uh, hammer it home with this particular film. Then we go into his uh, very first sequel in 1984, The Hills Have Eyes Part 2. Yeah, so Hills Have Eyes 2, you know, Craven first sequel, but Craven even ended up disowning this movie he basically admitted that he only made it because he needed the money so it was kind of a cash grab movie for him and yeah it's not good it's essentially like a a friday the 13th movie (laughs) in a lot of ways i feel like just you know interchange the cannibals with the friday the 13th characters and it's you know you wouldn't even know the difference yeah it's Honestly, yeah. I mean, it's not, it's boring for the most part, I found to be. The kills are very uninspired and a dog has a, has a epiphany. He has like his own flashback scene. He a like, flashback. He, like, <laughs> yeah, a dog, a dog, they literally zoom in on like a dog and he's like, he remembers back. <laughs> it's fucking so bizarre and it's hilarious. So, I mean, that made me laugh. So that was the entertainment alone. But Let me overall, stop you right there, Joe. How dare you sure. compare this to a Friday the 13th movie? I'll take you, it's... the worst Friday movie <laughs> every time over this piece of shit. I just meant the script. Like, it is like, you know, teenagers, like, g- getting sort of mowed down. A motocross yeah, I mean... fucking event <laughs> or something? 
<laughs> he doesn't want to drive his bike. I don't know, dude. It's fucking so incoherent. Man, now I want to see Jason in a motocross event. That'd, That'd be, be sick. Sweet. <laughs> Just like um... to go over a fucking ramp and he slices head off into the bike <laughs> yeah. lands headless. Love it. That'd be awesome. But yeah, this is this is a bad one. Honestly, probably the worst of the bunch so far that we've done. I, I give this one a one out of five. Yeah, I own this bad boy on Blu-ray. Because it just sucks when you have like physical media and you, you know that all the movies exist, but you don't have them on tape. So yeah, I own it. But uh, oof, this was rough, man. It's fucking awful. We won't go over the dog flashback again, but that's there. I don't. I just don't know what he was thinking. Michael Berryman's back, so that's cool. But uh, yeah, in entirely a miss. Watch it if you if you're a completionist, whether for Hills of Eyes or West Craven. But other than that, you are not missing a single thing except for goofy ass shit. So I guess I'm like, you know, on the opposite spectrum with you guys. Now I didn't love it. Okay, let's not let's not get twisted here. I didn't love this film, but it's like so bad that I enjoyed it for how bad it was. Like there are scenes where you know the uh, the mutants are attacking and they're like ten feet away from the guys and they'll like zip up their suit, put on their helmet, get on the dirt bike to drive like the ten feet that the guy is at to attack him. It makes no fucking sense at all. It's like, well, we got these motorbikes, so we got to use them as much as we can. They do these absolutely unnecessary like tricks when they're driving around uh, and getting attacked or getting chased and shit like that. It's a goofy ass movie. Like, there's no doubt. I mean, when the dog fucking had his flashback, I n- nearly spit my drink out. It was just so, so, so ridiculous. It's just unfortunate that they didn't have good kills, you know, and they weren't original with some of the kind of horror elements because if they had done over-the-top kills and been more original with that stuff, I think this could have been a kind of goofy gem. Uh, But as it stands, I did enjoy watching it. I gave it two and a half stars out of five, but definitely not at the level of The Hills Have Eyes or its its remakes. It's crazy that Bobby came back for it, though. The the original actor. And I'm looking at his filmography, and he has these and like two other randoms and then i think i think this film broke them <laughs> the original dog came back too well, beast was it, was nice. it beast or beauty that survives the first one beast, beast? Oh, okay. yeah whose beast has a flashback he didn't really i don't really know <laughs> <Does> he, <laughs> he, <laughs> i doubt it <laughs> all right moving on to one of the heavy hitters in west craven's filmography one that needs really no introduction 1984's a nightmare on elm street yeah, I mean, God, what is there really to say about this movie other than it's one of Craven's absolute bests? Um, he took ideas, obviously, from some of his earlier films that you end up seeing in this movie. And yeah, I mean, he ended up basing this movie off of a couple of things. One, of course, he based the Freddy Krueger character and Krug. Let's go back to his very first movie. Call back. Yeah, callback. Last House on the Left, the Krug character, and here we get Freddy Krueger. But yeah, so he based this movie off of uh, articles he saw about, you know, kids dying in their sleep, and then also basing the Freddy Krueger character off of a homeless man that used to scare the shit out of him as a child that he would see on the street that would wear sort of like that fedora. So that's kind of where he came up with the idea for this one. And I mean, it's it's low budget. But man, it is just so effective. Just the idea of a man, you know, stalking you and killing you in your sleep 
for basically revenge on the parent, you know, to get revenge on the parents for what they did to, you know, him earlier in life. I mean, it's, it's such an interesting plot and just such an interesting idea that it, it's, it's even tough to mess it up. So, I mean, just kudos to him for even coming up with the idea. And I mean, it spawned one of the most successful franchises of all time. You know, this was really his baby. And, you know, it shows, you know, he, it's just, it's so good. Robert England, you know, cast obviously perfectly as Freddie, um, you know, Freddie just pure, just dark in this one too, that some of the most iconic and memorable scenes in horror history with Freddie in the alleyway, seeing him sort of for the first, one of the first times. And then just that Tina death scene with her, of course, on the ceiling is not something I'll never forget. I mean, that images that whole scene is just burned into my brain um from when i was a child watching that for the first time it's one of the first horror movies i ever saw it's terrifying and it, it's a movie i think that resonates with horror fans to this day and yeah i mean it's unforgettable i love it five out of five for me yeah there's no denying its cultural influence everyone knows freddy krueger you know what i mean everyone knows nightmare on elm street whether you're a horror fan or not i'm not the biggest freddy fan i don't think the, the series is that strong but this one is obviously the best one out of there not only did it save new line cinema but it also launched johnny depp's career who's one of the biggest fucking film stars there is so that's cool and it's just the low this things i loved about this film and films like this is like the things that they managed to pull off with no or zero or lo a very low budget it's just cool and the scenes still work today do the arms look goof goofy in the alleyway sure is it cool as fuck still hell yeah and yeah I, I, there's so many scenes in there that i can't pick a favorite one honestly because you know giant depp getting sucked in the bed and the fucking blood exploding is just dope so yeah it's a four and a half out of five for me yeah i mean obviously one of the best horror films ever definitely one of if not the most iconic horror film ever Everybody knows Freddy Krueger, whether they've seen movies in this franchise or not. He is one of the most kind of, it's kind of the poster child of horror films, right? Like if you had to put a picture to horror films, I think Freddy Krueger's face would be, I mean, Freddy or Jason, I think one of the two would be the kind of the poster child for, for this genre. And it's just amazing that uh, Wes Craven made this movie. And it's just, it's really good. There are so many great things about it. The score is fantastic. And it, accompanies this you know this franchise so well and it's just uh it's cool also to see freddy scary because he does get goofy pretty quickly and so i i always hold this one in high regard for that reason alone that this is the scary freddy krueger movie um and i do think this is the best one it's not my favorite but it's the best one you know if that makes sense i just think this one's the best made nightmare on Elm street but three is my favorite one so yeah this is this is an awesome one all right, so moving on to his career, he went from one of the most iconic horror films of all time to another TV movie in 1985 by the name of Chiller. Have either of you seen this movie? No, sir. Okay, so Chiller is about a, a guy who's cry cryogenically frozen, and they revive him 10 years later, and he's not quite himself Demolition like he Man? used to be. Kind of, yeah, right? Uh, but no knitting in, that, in Chiller. So he's uh, revived 10 years later, and he's not quite the same person that went into the ice, and he starts killing off people, and they try to stop him. This movie poses a lot of really interesting 
moral questions about the connection between your your mind your soul and your body like what what's the difference you know is your body attached to your soul what happens if your soul is gone for 10 years does it just come back is your mind the same like they ask a lot of really cool philosophical questions in this movie but they do it in the most boring fucking way ever it's like basically a soap opera there's not a hell of a lot going on the uh this action is really dull there there aren't a lot of kills and when they are they're boring as hell the acting is like fine but overall i would skip this one honestly it's it's crazy that this is the movie he followed a nightmare on elm street with uh but here we are so if you're gonna watch his filmography this should be near the bottom of your list in my opinion um and then you say it was made for tv sorry it was, yeah. It, it was, was okay. a TV movie. And then he also, and I'm get, really going to go quickly to this one because it's not horror. Uh, he did make a film for Disney, which is part of a TV series where every episode was a different story. And he did one called Case Busters for Disney, which is basically these, like, this family have this abandoned house next to them and they go, like, visit it. And there's, like, maybe, like, ghost activity in there. But it turns out it's not ghost activity. It's actually like drug smuggling or something that people are putting into the walls and shit. It's a really weird movie. It's 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 a Disney TV movie, which is so weird, given what Wes Craven has done to this point for him to have done this. There's nothing like it in the rest of his filmography. It's so out of place that I almost recommend it just to see the absolute crazy contrast between Fireworks Woman you know, a last house on the left, and then you have a TV Disney movie for kids uh, called Case Buster. So definitely a weird one. I gave it one and a half stars out of five. But he does return to horror the that same year, 1986, when he made Deadly Friend. Have either of you seen Deadly Friend? I have, and I watched it specifically for this retrospective. I had never seen it before. Um, this one is really interesting. So this... Craven originally didn't even want to make a horror movie, but because of the success of Nightmare on Elm Street, him and the studio had quite a back and forth regarding this movie. Craven just wanted to make a sort of, you know, teeny, tweeny type sort of fantasy movie, but the studio said, no, you're making a horror movie, and this is sort of the result we get is a mixture of kind of both. This movie stars Christy Swanson, who is sort of our Frankenstein type character here? Because I mean, the storyline is really interesting. You know, it's about a a guy, a kid who moves next door that created this sort of crazy robot. The robot ends up getting massacred by the neighbor. Also, Christy Swanson is in an abusive home. Her father ends up throwing her down the stairs, killing her. And because of um, you know the friendship she had made with this kid next door it was kind of a sort of a blossoming love thing he decided let me put the robot you know brain into christy swanson's dead body as one and does yes as one does. yes and this is you know what we end up getting is sort of robot frankenstein christy swanson you know it it's not bad i actually ended up having a, a lot of fun watching it um but man you can tell the studio interference in this movie is so bad. Like 
the movie go the tonality is just so all over the place at this really could have been a really like dark sort of creepy tale but man just the headbutting between the horror and the comedy in this movie really throws off like the tone with of course culminating in one of the most iconic kills of the 80s the ball throw head explosion uh scene that a lot of people have seen even if you haven't seen the movie you've probably seen memes and and gifs from it and it's just hilarious it is the the highlight kill of the movie no doubt about it gory as hell but you know yeah i mean it i don't know there's just something about this movie i ended up really enjoying I found Christy Swanson's performance to be like really, really good in here. And I really liked the sort of back and forth between her and our main uh, character here. And yeah, I mean, I I wish Craven had the full control of this movie because I think it, it, it probably would have been even better. As it stands, I still gave it a three and a half out of five because I, I, I still ended up overall enjoying this and it's something I would watch again. And honestly, probably I probably would have rated it a little higher had it not been for the ending, which is like sort of a theme in Craven's movies where especially like Deadly Blessing, Nightmare on Elm Street, Deadly Friend, where they just throw to like this scene at the very, very, very last scene that like doesn't make jive or make sense with the rest of the movie and just kind of gets thrown in to add that like last piece of horror for whatever reason, they, they, which was like a common theme in the eighties, but it like, they're always just in these Craven movies, especially they're always just so dumb and like make no sense to the plot. But overall I had a fun time with this one. How do you say no, right on this one? No, but I looked up the YouTube kill and it's amazing. Yeah, yeah, it's <laughs> definitely the, uh, the highlight of this movie. Uh, I agree with a lot of what Joe said. It's, it's, it's got great kills. I like the whole robot aspect. The robot actually looks pretty good too, surprisingly. Like they did a good job uh, with that. It's not one of my favorite kind of Frankenstein's monster type stories. You know, we've seen the reanimate your dead love story play out uh, a few times in film, and this is not one of my favorite ones. I did like Christy Swanson in this, however, but her fucking zombie makeup looks terrible. Just someone needed to do a better job on the makeup in this. And I agree, it kind of ends in a little bit of a weird way. Uh, I'm not quite as high as Joe was on it. I gave it two and a half stars out of five. But it is kind of an underrated one, I think. And people should uh, check it out as part of his retrospective. Because, yeah, there, there's some definitely some good stuff in it. And that kill alone is kind of worth the price of admission on this one. Uh, moving on to 1988 we go to the serpent and the rainbow. I I don't remember. I think I did see this, but I don't remember much about it. So I'll skip this one. All right. Serpent and the rainbow. It's been quite a while, um, but it does have every human on planet earth's favorite U S president, Bill Pullman from independence day. Tonight we celebrate our independence day. Okay. I'm not gonna do the fucking monologue, but it's a great monologue. Yeah. And a Harvard Harvard anthropologist, excuse me, goes to Haiti to like mess around. He starts looking in voodoo and shit like that. And there's a, you know what? I guarantee you, if you haven't seen this film, you've at least seen the final line that Bill Pullman delivers. Don't bury me. I'm, I'm not dead, which is really cool. But unfortunately, like the source material is really cool. The setting is awesome. Just the movie is a little bit too slow, in my opinion. So I have a rated of two out of five. Yeah, I feel like I'm repeating myself a lot, and this will kind of 
come into my conclusion of the Craven retrospective. But again, I feel this was two thirds of a great movie, and uh, the last act was just not good. Um, they it's really cool to see the kind of voodoo um, stuff set in Haiti. It's an interesting locale. It's one that's not explored often in movies. And I think it should be because there's a lot of rich history in that country. You know, it's one that's absolutely ravaged by war and atrocities. So to see kind of what they're going through and that perspective was really interesting. They deal a lot with um, dreams in this movie, which sometimes can be hard to swallow, you know, because it's kind of a cheap cop out for a lot of things. Like something happens, you know, like, oh shit. But then it's just a dream and you're like, Ugh, really? But in this particular film, I think it works because part of the voodoo is, uh, you know, giving them hallucinogen- hallucinogens that really kind of fuck up their minds and stuff like that. So I enjoyed it overall. I gave it two and a half stars out of five, but kind of the same old thing where if just they had a better idea for the end, I think it could have been a much better movie. Moving on to 1989 we have shocker yeah man this so this was a sort of different sort of take for craven he kind of goes into ridiculous territory with this one and i mean the movie's campy as fuck but overall like it it's pretty fun like it it definitely has some fun moments in here uh mitch pelleggi is awesome as uh the main villain and yeah i mean i i think this is a great sort of beer drinking watch with friends like kind of laugh type movie it's it's different i mean it's not for craven anyway you know craven for the most part took his movies pretty seriously but i feel like with this one i i don't know if he was just looking to do if this was like a paycheck movie or if he was looking to do something different here but yeah i mean it's it's fun it's it's good it's good camp it's nothing serious. Good turn off your brain type movie. I give it a three out of five. Let's see. We got Peter Berg, who just started in, started in Fire in the Sky, which we just covered, who be, went on to be a pretty good director. Mitch Pelagi, like you mentioned, Joe, he's a fucking beast in this movie, man. Like, I'm scared of him when he's coming at me. And he's, what, he gets uh, sentenced to death, electric chair, right? And he gets sucked into, like, he becomes like a force of fucking electricity, kind of like Electro in Star Wars. Or it's not Star Wars, Spider-Man. There's a scene that makes me laugh every fucking time, because I don't know if it was an accident with stunts or whatever, but Peter Berg, the young character, he, like, does like a jumping double leg kick in the Mitch Pelleggi and the motherfucker like goes forward and hits his head on this piece of metal. And I thought it was the funniest thing ever. And yeah, it's just like one of those, like you mentioned, turn off your brain, have a good time. Is it like Freddy level goofy? Yeah. But then it's not as cool because it's not Freddy doing it, you know? So uh, I'm still a solid three out of five, three out of five on this one. So you'll be shocked by this, but <gasps> shocked, shocker. I think this, I'll give you the shocker is two-thirds of a good movie. <laughs> oh, no. I don't know. Like, uh, I'm just, like, I watched these a year apart. Like, I did the retrospective within a year, and I keep going back to the same note, basically. So this movie has three elements in it. There's the serial killer element, which is what they introduced first, which I really was into. Mitch Pilecki is a fucking psychotic guy, which is so weird because he's he's kind of swarmy in X-Files, which is what I know him best from. So to see him like, yeah, to see him as like a badass fucking prisoner is super interesting. So that I really liked. Then it's once they get off the serial killer stuff, there's switches to like a 
body swapping element where he his soul like goes into different bodies and it has kind of a fallen um vibe to it i don't know if people have seen fallen it's a great movie from the 90s uh which, which was after this but it, a better version of this story i would think so that was really interesting as well because you never knew who was possessed with his spirit and everything so i love that but then the third element which is the last half of the movie is this fucking cgi ghost and it's not scary i it was just it was bad i mean you know this was made in the uh was it late 80s in 1989 it just didn't look good and it wasn't interesting and that's where i think the movie lost me a little bit i think it's worth watching i think this should be near the top of your craven retrospective if you do one but it's too bad that they went into such a weird cgi ghost thing at the end and kind of dropped the ball once again in that third act so i also gave it three out of five stars moving on craven goes back to his tv movie route and why and did night visions all right, so Night Visions is uh, so it's a story about a LA detective who hunts a serial killer with a woman who has telepathic, like she has like multiple personalities and stuff like that. It's it's a low budget affair, obviously being a TV movie. So I really only watched it because we were doing this retrospective. This movie is just this is a money movie, you know. The writing is poor, the acting is super phoned in. It's got a really like 90s TV movie feel though. So I, I like that aesthetic because that's when I started getting into movies and watching TV movies with my dad. Either TV movies, like stuff that especially Stephen King ad- adaptations at that time. And then a few like kind of these weird movies that he'd sprinkle in probably like this. Like I might have even seen this one when I was a kid. I'm not 100% sure. But I didn't like the leads at all. Like they were really not that interesting. Could be because the writing was so boring. And I don't know, like, I just can't recommend this. It's such a dull and muted movie. Like, there's no substance to this at all. It's, I'm sure Wes Craven just did this for a paycheck because it's just one of those things that, oof, I, I struggled with this one. So I would definitely skip it. But he follows up strong in 1991 when he did The People Under the Stairs. Yeah, so this kind of is like a return for Craven. Um, you know, he had a lot to say in the 70s with, you know, social commentary, dealing with the war and stuff like that. He returns sort of back to that here in with the people under the stairs as he sort of tackles gender gentrification and also racism in this one. Overall, I think this is a is a pretty solid movie. The biggest problem is I think this movie takes some extreme tonal shifts that just don't mesh with me for me personally the movie at times is scary and then at other times turns into slapstick comedy um and for me it just didn't work all together but like i said i think he has some interesting messages in here and some good social commentary and the people under the stairs are really interesting characters and they at the end they sort of become the heroes of the movie so yeah i mean it's an interesting one I think it could have been better had he just picked a lane, but this one always kind of has stuck with me as one I always remembered, another one I remembered sort of from my childhood, and one I really remember the cover uh, vividly at the video store as well. So yeah, I, I give this one a three and a half out of five. 
You know, I'm right there with you again, man. We're, it sounds like we're all repeating the same things. Sean Whalen's in here, who's a genre favorite, uh, plays one a uh, character named Roach. But you got my homie Bing Rames from freaking Pulp Fiction, Don the Dead remake, who's fucking great. I love that actor. But yeah, I don't have honestly have anything too much to add from what you said, Joe. You hit it on the head right there, and I gave it also a three and a half out of five. Yeah, uh, I I agree with both of you guys on this one. I think the biggest issue for me with this film is something that Joe touched on, is that it's kind of like misleading because the focus isn't on the people under the stairs. It's really on the couple trying to kill the kid throughout the majority of the film, which is fucking crazy. And the people under stairs was the most interesting element of this, and they don't focus on it, which is such a... It's too bad because they were super fucking interesting. I really loved when the people on their stairs were kind of part of the story, but they're not in it for a long time. So this is almost the opposite of what I've been saying. I think it starts too slow because they kind of do this whole other story. But once the people on their stairs get in near the final act, like really get into it, that's when this movie really shines. And I give it a three out of five. I, I just wish they focused on the people on their stairs more and really kind of stuck to that instead of doing this whole thing with the couple chasing the kid. But th- this is a good one. I think this is people one that people should check out. So next one is one we've actually reviewed on the show. So we're not going to go too deeply into this one. But Wes Craven comes back to the franchise that made him famous in Wes Craven's New Nightmare. So real quickly, because we did cover it on an entire episode, uh, what do you guys think of New Nightmare as it relates to his retrospective and his filmography? I'm the defender of this movie, as you know, if you listen to our review. I think this was a return to form for Craven from that original Nightmare on Elm Street. I think he saw the franchise sort of sputtering and he wanted to go back to Scary Freddy. And he also did Meta for the first time, obviously, which we end up coming along to scream this was sort of his sort of test run on scream i think for the most part it worked i think it worked really well i think the freddy characters the return to scary freddy worked really well here sure is it a bit dated yes but i really liked the idea he did with this movie so i really enjoyed it i can't remember what i gave it i want to say i gave it a three and a half out of five but here come the haters Stephen todd let's hear it <sighs> To quote myself from my review, I like this less and less with each rewatch. <laughs> I just don't like it. It's so long. It's so boring. Cringy scenes, cringy dialogue. I mean, it's cool seeing the old cast pop up in here and there. And, you know, Freddy has a cool look here and there as well. But, man, I just do not like this movie. And I give it a one. That's it, folks. A one out of five. Yeah. This is a movie where every, like, five years i think to myself maybe i was too hard on it last time maybe it is good and i just need to rewatch it again and every fucking five years i go through the same motion of nope this is still a fucking piece of shit film and i don't like it at all uh there's just a lot of stuff that i don't like but of course you can listen to our episode to see exactly what it just i thought it was disappointing in every way and such a dud to finish this franchise on now thankfully we got freddy versus jason so we did get to see robert england as freddy at least one more time after this thankfully because if this had been it it would not have been a good way for me personally to uh to end it so yeah i gave it one and a half stars so a little bit higher than todd but not by much uh moving on to 1995 we go to vampire in brooklyn 
this is actually the last one I watched in the West Craven Fil- West Craven filmography. Uh, I kind of saved it for the end. One because I couldn't find it anywhere. I actually had to rent it, and two because it's one I'd never seen. I mean, it stars uh, Eddie Murphy and Angela Bassett, so I was really curious as to what they would be doing with this. So this is a horror comedy. It's about uh, Dracula who comes to New York and he's looking for another one of his kind, so another vampire. And it's about his hunt trying to find, you know, the uh, the other vampire in the city. This movie is neither funny nor scary. So it fails on both the horror and comedy front. It's a really weird mix. It's like it didn't know what the fuck it wanted to be. Tonally, it's all over the place. It, you, you, I really felt like there was something off about this entire movie because it just, it was really like, it was weird at how it would go from goofy to serious to what the fuck is this thing, you know? At one point, so a game that we play in our Discord, which I do a lot personally, is when I watch a movie, I take a screenshot of the movie and then try to make people guess what movie I'm watching. And I took a screenshot of this kind of white guy, and I'm like, okay, this is my screenshot. No one could guess it. I'm like, here's a hint. This is a super famous A-list actor. People still didn't guess it. And I was kind of fucking with them because little did they know, they were looking at Eddie Murphy. Because this is one of Eddie Murphy's where he plays multiple roles for absolutely no fucking reason at all. You know, it's like, wasn't enough that he's the vampire does he need to be these random characters in the movie too that make zero sense to the plot did he just want to do like white makeup did he just want to be uh at one point he's like a fat pastor it's, it's just a really fucking weird movie and having read into it later on there was a lot of disagreements between eddie murphy his vision for the film Wes craven's vision for the film the studio's vision for the film and Apparently, from what I read, I can't you know verify this, but that's what I read on, I think it was IMDb, Scream was originally going to be more of a horror comedy. But after having made this film the year before, he realized that that might not work and he wanted to give it a more serious tone. And had it not been for Vampire in Brooklyn of all fucking films, we might not have had the Scream that we all know and love. So, you know, sometimes you need to have these duds to get into the good stuff, which, speaking of which, 1996, his very next film, Scream. Yeah, baby, this is, you know, the one of the, the movie of the 90s, really. This is the movie that some say brought horror back to life. Horror was sort of, you know, dead at that point. You know, the night, you know, the 80s was dead. 90s horror was considered awful and then Wes Craven creates Scream and I'll never forget the buzz around this movie when it came out I mean people lost their shit uh, over this movie that opening you know put just the genius idea to put Drew Barrymore on the cover of that movie and then to kill her within the first 10 minutes is just was was genius It it was genius marketing and man that opening scene is so fucking iconic I love it I love this movie so much. It gets better every time I watch it. Fantastic cast here as well. Just the chemistry between everyone in this movie is great. You know, uh, Skeet Ulrich Ulrich and Matthew Lillard as just the crazy psychopaths. Just they, They both 
work so well together. And, you know, Nev Campbell as our final girl heroine is great. You got Jamie Kennedy in here bringing the comedic relief as well as David Arquette as Dewey, Courtney Cox. I mean, it's, it's, it's a fantastic, it's a fantastic movie. Just, it, it's so memorable. Also, Craven went back to meta, you know, he did it with New Nightmare and I think he perfected the things that he tried with New Nightmare and he did it with this. I fucking love Scream. It's one of my all-time favorite horror movies. Five out of five. Five out of five, Scream. The ensemble cast, excellent. Matthew Lillard is the standout performance to me, but he's a standout performance in every single thing. Even if it's a shit movie, his performance stands out. Shout out to uh, Kevin Williamson, too, the writer. I mean, without him, his smart writing, this movie wouldn't have been nearly as good because a couple of these stinkers on the list were written by Wes, so maybe that doesn't correlate, you know what I mean? But, um... Man, uh, I put a challenge out there to name a more iconic voice. Maybe the Crypt Keeper, but I think it goes to Ghostface, man. Like, like you said, the opening scene is fucking amazing, and then it's brutal. And the moment where she's so close to her parents, but she can't fucking properly scream out. And then the scene where they're, he's closing on her and fucking stabs her. It's just excellent. The whole fucking movie is a ride. And then once you see, like, I, I'm, I even saw some things today on the scream subreddit that i'm like oh shit i didn't notice that we're all when they're all at the like um high school like on a by on a brick wall or something the two killers are wearing their black army boots like i'm like oh shit i never noticed that before so like it's just a smart film man and uh, randy's rules gail fucking being a bitch and getting knocked out and dewey and him like answering the phone and goes hello it's so fucking good man i love it five out of five yeah, I mean, Scream, it's crazy that this director has essentially the movie that represents the 80s and the 90s. You know, it's it's pretty amazing that he did that. Scream, of course, being, you know, one of the absolute classics, made all of our top 10s for the 1990s. You know, what we did review actually all four, uh, Scream 1, 2, 3, and 4 on one episode, uh, maybe two, three years ago, in anticipation of Scream 5 and eventually 6. So if you want to look into our like in-depth reviews of all these movies, they are there in, in our uh, in our episodes. But yeah, this is definitely a classic. And uh, what a return to form, you know, to uh, for Wes Craven, because as you've seen before, not a whole lot of like absolute bangers in his filmography other than Nightmare on Elm Street. And, you know, some of the other ones are high-ish but this is you know top level fucking horror right here moving on to a sequel 1997 scream 2 scream goes to college you know and this one a solid sequel you know it was going to be damn near impossible for west to replicate what he did with the first scream but Kevin Williamson, once again, back to right here. And they were able to pull off, a, I think, a pretty solid sequel here. So we have uh, we have an uh, just an iconic opening scene with Jada Pinkett Smith and Omar Epps at the movie theater watching essentially the first Scream movie. You know, it's so good. Every the whole audience in sort of ghost face costumes and, you know, ghost faces there among the fake ghost face. It is such a good opening scene. It's tough, obviously, to replicate such an amazing opening scene of the first scream. And although it's not as good, it is pr- almost, almost as good 
you know, uh, Windsor College is it's a decent setting. Um, you know, leaving Woodsboro to go here. Yeah, I mean, I think you know, it's it's it doesn't reach the greatness of Scream One, but I think it's a pretty solid sequel. I give it a three and a half out of five. Yeah, I think I think there's a steep decline from part one to two, and I think partly because it was so rushed to get in development and get out there. But there is a scene that I absolutely love, and I think it's one of the best scenes in the series, is when the detectives crash her car, and mm-hmm. um, she has to crawl over Ghostface's, like, is he dead or knocked out body? That scene, that tension, that scene alone is just fucking worth the price of admission. Although I do still think the film is pretty solid. Jerry O'Connell. Justice for Jerry O'Connell. He's a good guy, man. He got the <laughs> shaft. Literally, he got stabbed to death, and he wasn't the killer, but they tried to make us believe that, so... It's okay. Did, did you, his song number five out of five, obviously as well. Oh gosh, <laughs> worst detectives of all time though. They're like supposed to be watching her, and like they let her fucking sneak around in the computer lab and library and shit. So, and I, uh, I'm, I hate that opening scene, man. I hate it because I hate Jada Pinkett Smith, and her performance is just awful. And then Ghostface is like chilling in the fucking men's stall or something for the whole movie and hoping that fucking the guy he wants to kill comes in next to him and he, he he's strong enough to slam a knife through fucking solid wood into his brain right i uh, uh, don't like it but i do like what it led to was a really killer um uh, halloween haunted mansion or haunted tour thing for halloween at not scary farm they did scream too and there's a scene where you walk in the theater and you walk down the aisle and there's a bunch of ghost face mannequins and then you know a couple of them are actors so that was really cool uh three and a half out of five um, so yeah, this, this one was lower for me, and again, you can listen to the episode as to why, but I gave it a three uh, out of five stars. It just, I don't know, it just didn't hit as, as hard as I thought it did. Uh, when I rewatched it for the retrospective we did back then, and then again for this, uh, it actually changed my ranking of the screen films because I didn't like this one as much. Like I lowered this one, but made four higher because I ended up enjoying that one more upon a rewatch. So still a really great film, though. Solid sequel, and uh, definitely... I'm glad that Craven continued with his own films in this one. You know, he didn't hand over the baton to someone else to do the Scream films. He he went through, you know, all the way to four, and I thought that was really awesome. Then he follows it up, of course. One of his classics, Music of the Heart. So Music of the Heart, I won't go too much into it, because, of course, it's not horror. Music of the Heart... <laughs> This is a Meryl Streep joint. If you've seen Mr. Holland's Opus, you have absolutely no reason to watch Music of the Heart. It is basically the same story, but with violins instead of an orchestra. And it's just like, it's basically a poor man version of Mr. Holland's Opus, if you ask me. So I gave it a two and a half stars. I watched it just because of the stretch perspective. Unless you're really wanting to watch this, I would not really uh, go out of my way to do so. And then he goes right back into his wheelhouse with Scream 3. Scream goes Hollywood. You know, I have, I don't know why, but I have a soft spot spot for Scream 3. And I think it's because it gets so much hate. You know, this is considered one of the worst in the franchise. But, you know, I, I don't think so. I actually think it's pretty well written. And I, I, I like uh, the introduction of Patrick Dempsey's uh, character as well. I also, hey, I know people shit on it. I liked the voice box change in this one. I liked the whole trickery 
of the voice change uh, voice changer being able to use other people's voices to trick the people i thought that was kind of a cool little thing i liked you know i think he went went uh, a little sort of goofier as well on this one with the comedy um you get an appearance from jay and silent bob in this one um but uh which was kind of fun but I don't know. I personally liked the reveal of Roman being sort of the puppet that was pulling the strings with Billy and Stu in the first one. I thought that was a really good twist, and I thought it was a good way to sort of end the trilogy. This was supposed to be the last Scream movie, obviously, and I thought that was like a kind of good, tight way to sort of do it with, you know, with that. So I I give Scream 3 a three and a half out of five. I, I know it gets a lot of hate, but... I thought it was a good way to end the trilogy, in my opinion. Yeah, you know what? I like it too. I don't like the really, really over-the-top meta stuff. James and Bob, Princess Leia, stuff like that. Lance Henderson's always good. I love seeing him and things. But man, this this whole series wouldn't happen if Maureen Prescott was just... She's not. She's no Sharon Stone, you know what I mean? <sighs> I don't know. It's Part of it is really cool, and then part of it you have like bullshit. They're acting doubles doing stupid stuff that i didn't like i hated the voice box like that's technology that i guess you know what we're, i guess we're in that now right with ai singing fucking making johnny cash sing like princess barbie songs and stuff like that so i guess we're there now but i really like the onset stuff like when they're in the set at woodsboro and she's like reliving her basically what happened in part one i think that's really cool but the monologue at the end is like too well prepared for me it's got like fucking videos and shit but still a solid movie three out of five uh, this is my least favorite of the Scream films, I think. Um, it just it just doesn't resonate with me uh, really at all. Uh, it's still Scream, so it still gets two and a half stars out of five. But I do, I was just so checked out because it was too implausible, too unre- unrealistic. Like, it was a love letter to fans. I'll, I'll give it that. But watching it as a movie, it's just, to me, it was pretty bad. Uh, I don't know. Some, some things, you know, they they hit you some of them don't this one just didn't do it for me uh, i i prefer i guess the more serious screams you know rather than kind of how goofy this one went all right going into the final five of craven's career next one we have 2005's cursed right. no i've never seen curse but i know it has a very interesting story where like essentially there's a director's cut supposedly out there where the movie's like totally different so i've kind of been holding out hope that that might get released at some point (laughs) uh yeah so cursed is one i hadn't seen either until this retrospective it's basically about um this uh, brother and sister who they see an accident in la and all of a sudden there's a you know a werewolf walking around and it scratches them and then they start turning slowly throughout the film Uh, honestly this was a fucking ton of fun it's one of my favorite discoveries through doing this retrospective i had a really good fucking time watching this movie uh christina ricci is the star of it it has uh, jesse eisenberg as well as the other star of it and i thought it was just a fun film it's a great cast it's a passable story they go to some really fun locations in the movie as well which just helps with everything they try to do everything practically which i really appreciate for two reasons one i always like things practical Two, the cgi they do put into this movie is fucking awful so the fact that they try to go more practically is definitely uh, a good thing now do the wolves look amazing 
yeah not bad you know sometimes they look a little bit goofy but it's one of those just like sit back harmless and enjoy films uh i give it three and a half stars out of five i think this is one people should absolutely check out and one that i think doesn't get enough love in his filmography all right moving on to 2005 as well the man of the hour oppenheimer himself uh killian murphy starring in red eye Yes, and also Rachel McAdams. I I remember seeing this one in theaters actually, and I had no idea it was Wes Craven at the time. I I feel like they didn't really um advertise that going in because I feel like Rachel McAdams was really like sort of the the hot actress at the time, so they were really advertising her. And yeah, I mean, this isn't really a horror movie. It's just like it's a really suspenseful thriller, though. Yeah, overall, I, I I enjoyed this one. It's it's pretty good. I haven't seen it in quite some time, but I remember sort of like the cat and mouse sort of game between Killian Murphy and Rachel McAdams on the plane, you know, going back and forth. And yeah, I remember uh, this one. It's not anything amazing or anything like that, but I think it, it's a pretty solid movie overall. Um, I'd give this one a three out of five. Yeah, you know, I saw it once, and I felt that it was kind of forgettable. I mean, Rachel McAdams is good. Cillian Murphy, Killian Murphy, whatever, is good. Brian Cox is always good, so that's cool. But yeah, just what I remember, basically, it felt like maybe more of a TV movie. Like, this would have been an excellent, like, Friday night movie or something like that, because the tension was really there. But it just didn't sit with me, and I had really no urge to rewatch it. So I'm sitting at a two and a half out of five. Yeah, I, I I never seen it before. I gave it a three out of five. Uh, I think it's well acted. Um, I was interested in what was going on the whole time, but there's just not a whole lot going on uh, in the end. You know, it's not uh, it's not one that like I ever need to revisit, and uh, it's not one I would go out of my way to recommend either. But I'm not mad that I watched it if that makes sense. So, three out of five, I think, is eh, not too bad for a movie like this. This one might be surprising. In the sense that if you ask me out of the 30 films that he's done, which one did I, am I the most appreciative that I discovered through this process? And it would definitely be this one for me. And it's not even horror, or at least it's not mostly horror. And that is a film he made. Well, he made a story, part of the film. It's an anthology film called Paris Je T'aime. So Paris Je T'aime is a collection of 18 short films that take place in Paris. And it's all over the place. It goes from love stories to horror stories to witches to like a, something on the beach to something at the Eiffel Tower. It's basically, they told these 18 filmmakers, for example, they have uh, Gus Van Sant, they have Alfonso Cuaron, they have Wes Craven and a bunch of others. A lot of big stars in this as well. Steve Buscemi, Natalie Portman, William Dafoe, Maggie Gyllenhaal. And it's just these really short stories about th this specific city. And they've made a ton of these films, which I didn't know. They have New York, I Love You. They have Berlin, I Love You. They have one in Spain. They have one, you know, they have one in all these different cities. And it's like a love letter to the cities that they're doing. And it was fantastic. It's a really good fucking uh, anthology and I, I put all of them on my watch list. I watched two of them. And it's really cool. These are like legit directors with legit actors for the most part. And they put and these like really these five to seven minute stories at the most. You know, the majority are like five minutes. 
and I fucking loved this movie. And there are two or three horror stories in this particular one, Paki Jatem, in, including Wes Craven. So I give it four out of five stars. It absolutely. I know it seems like a goofy movie. I only watched it because of this retrospective and I was super pleasantly surprised. So definitely check this one out or any of the other ones in the series. If you want to go American, New York, I love you would be the one I would recommend uh, for that. Moving on to his second to last film, My Soul to Take from 2010. Yeah, so I don't, I definitely didn't rewatch this. I do remember watching it when it was released. I can't give my full fair thoughts on this one without a rewatch, but I will say I remember it being rather generic at the time and sort of like exactly what you would expect from a like 2010s movie that, uh, you know, like it was a weird time in horror where not a lot of great stuff was coming out. And I feel like this was one they kind of like Craven just kind of they like threw a bunch of money at him. And he was like, all right, I'll do this. But it's a pretty generic plot, pretty like underwhelming. If I remember, based off pure memory, I probably would have gave it like a two out of five. Um, so this story is basically a, a serial killer hunts down seven people who share his birthday. And it's kind of a simple premise. And there are a lot of like cool story elements, but like some other of his films, it's like there were... 15 producers on this movie they all had an idea what this movie should be and instead of agreeing to one they're like let's just put all 15 fucking stories in here and try to make a movie out of it it's all over the fucking place there are so many things going on there are some threads i just lost the point like i'm like i don't even remember what the fuck this thread was about because they'll do something and then not talk about it for an hour and then bring it back. And then you're like, what the fuck was that again? Like, I don't remember why that was the thing. And it deals with like supernatural shit at some point. It's, it's a mess. Honestly, I, I was really excited about this one too, because it was kind of later in his filmography, but I did not enjoy this one at all. I also gave it a two out of five stars, which brings us to his final film. Of course, his return to one of his most beloved franchises, Scream part four yes the return to woodsboro as well in the franchise wes um, brings the gang back to where it all started a whole new cast of characters as well here this was sort of i guess re a requel before the word was ever made yeah you know you get uh, dewey nev and courtney cox back but uh we got a whole new cast of young characters here with Emma Roberts and Hayden Panettiere and Rory Culkin and whatnot. To me, this one's like a mixed bag. You know, I, I enjoyed the return to Woodsboro. I liked seeing all the characters back, but I just, I did not love the killers in this one um, and their motivations. I also really dislike the Deputy Judy uh, inclusion of her character. I've always been sort of a anti judy character character uh, i know a lot of people love her i just wasn't a fan but you know the young cast of characters i mean obviously kirby being sort of the the highlight she is sort of hayden pantier she's sort of the new randy and the fans loved her they even bring her back of course for scream six so yeah i mean i think i'm glad this is craven's last movie over my soul to take i will say that but it's it's one of besides scream five it is one of my least favorite in the franchise. 
but it's still a decent movie, and I give it a three out of five. Yeah, it's serviceable. I remember not liking it at all when I first saw it, and then when we rewatched it for our four-part review, I uh, ended up liking it. I enjoy it for what it is. I don't like the killers either. I think uh, what's her face's um, motivation of like, because it's like her niece, right, or something. Like I have to live in your shadow. Like shut up. But I do like the two film nerds. Those guys are cool, even though one of them turns out to be a bad guy. And I think it's pretty brutal, too, when she shoots her like boyfriend that they're trying to make you think it's a killer the whole time and shoots him in the nuts. That's pretty pretty gnarly. But I hated the hospital ending. I thought that was so awful. And something that always sticks out to me, and I, I don't like the Kirby character, and I didn't like when she came back in the last film, uh, but they're bragging about her like horror movie collection. It's like 10 movies. I'm like, shut up. Get out of here. Go on. But it's still a good movie, and you know he can. You can tell he was trying to like apply it to the standards of that day with like having webcam set up and things like that, trying to like update it for a new generation. But still solid. Three three out of five. Not my least favorite. My least favorite of the new ones, but it's okay. The uh, kind of the same thing as Todd. I I didn't like it when I first watched it. And when I went into our rewatch for our episode where we did all four, I went in thinking this would be my least favorite of the four Scream movies. And by the time we came out of it, it was my second favorite of the Scream movies. Uh, There's just something I really like about this one. I like how he uses new tropes and new technology uh, to talk about kind of his meta, you know, metaphors on society and cinema and everything like that. I just had a good time with it. And I think... Um, you know, it really took a rewatch for me to really kind of get into the mood of it. But now that I can just enjoy it for what it is, uh, I dig it. So I gave it three and a half stars out of five. I think it was a a good final film for Wes Craven. All right. Uh, you guys want to get into the questions before we give a maybe a score out of five for Wes Craven's sure. filmography? All right. So you can ask us those questions on social media at the Horror Squad podcast or, of course, on our Discord First question is from Phil's fan 330. If you could handpick one actor and one director to make a new Nightmare on Elm Street, who would you pick? You can give Jackie Earl Haley another shot if you would like. I would go with Mike Flanagan and Robert Sheehan, Klaus Four from Umbrella Academy. Ooh, good question. I mean, I think Jackie Earl Haley was fine as Freddy. I just think he was given really shitty material to work with. So I wouldn't mind bringing Jackie Earl back. You know, I think he did a fine enough job. As far as a director, I love I love the idea of Mike Flanagan. I think he could handle it well. Yeah, I think it has to be, you know, I think even um, maybe even James Wan, honestly, I think he could be a, a good pick. I think you want someone that's been there, done that before, and is done, that knows how to properly bring a good scare in so i'll go with james one i think he'd go completely new on uh, both aspects new freddy new director give it to a newer upper coming or whatever you want to call them that loves the genre isn't just signing a paycheck or like a, a director for hire i don't think he'd give it to blumhouse i think he'd give it to some random studio and let them just have the money let him do what he wants and just go from there and don't have the strings attached of like oh because my first thing that bumped my mind was uh, Alexander Aja or Aja, whatever. I'm like, yeah, but then we'll start comparing it to his films already. So let's just give it to somebody new. Yeah, I actually like uh, Mike Flanagan as 
a director for this because I really like his stuff. And seeing what he did with Dr. Sleep, I think uh, I would like to see him do a take on Nightmare on Elm Street because he clearly respects the material that he's working on. So I, w- I would totally take him as well. As for the actor, I agree with Todd. Um, so I guess it's a mix of a few ideas. I, anyone who would be, it would, it would be tough. But I think if it's someone new, people would separate character from actor, you know, whereas they wouldn't if it was someone famous. And I think they almost need to because you're going to compare it to Robert England. So you almost need someone that is kind of unknown. And I think that's what made Bill Skarsgård so successful as Pennywise is people didn't really know who Bill Skarsgård was prior to being uh, Pennywise. And that kind of helped with the transition of everyone like us who loved Tim Curry so much. And we were able to appreciate the character for what it was without taking away of Tim Curry's interpretation as well. So I think an unknown would probably be the best move in this case as well. I want to throw out a wild card and say Robert Pattinson though. Ooh, he's so good. Like as an actor, it's great Um, and everything. I think he'd kill it. He's so famous though, that it's like, you know, (laughs) It'd be a tough, uh, tough sell for him. Plus, I want to keep, I want to keep him as Batman. I really fucking love him as Batman. So, all right, moving on to Odd Job versus 007. That is Cody. What's everyone's top three horror directors of all time? It's a loaded question, my friends. A loaded question. God, man, someone got something. I don't. Romero that's... number one for me. I mean, Romero's great. Yeah, I think. Yeah. Carpenter number two. Hmm. Number three. I, I've won at number three, but the same first two. So, uh, I mean, I, I can't deny Juan's filmography at this point. Conjuring, Insidious, and fucking Saw. Like, yeah, are you kidding me? Point. Yeah. It's yeah. Uh, it's time people put respect on his name and make him one of the greats because he is like, Jesus Christ. When you think about just those three franchises with it, all the other stuff, it's fucking crazy. Yep. Yeah. I think Carpenter would be my number one. It's hard for me not to put someone like Eggers in there just because I loved The Witch. And I mean, I've liked all of his movies. He hasn't missed yet, but he hasn't, he has only done like what, five movies. So it's tough to put him up there. But as far as an up and comer, Eggers for me as well. Yeah, absolutely. His next question Craven is one person I wish I could have met and got an autograph from before his passing. Do any of you have a legend we've lost that you wish you had met before their passing? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I I never had the opportunity to meet Craven. Absolutely would have loved to, and I'd love to add an autograph one day, but obviously pretty expensive now. For me, it's 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 Romero, though. I had so many opportunities to actually go and meet the guy, and I did have interaction an interaction with him when I was wearing my brain dead shirt. I talked about that on the podcast before, but he he came up and commented on my brain dead shirt, which was amazing. But yeah, I just would always be like, I'll get him next time. I'll get him next time. I get him next time. And then he wasn't there one day. So yeah, that's one I'm I always bummed about. Yeah, it's brutal. Mine's Gunnar Hansen. I've said this before too. It's saw him at a con, man. My first actually my first con, and when I was in high school, I'm like, oh cool, that's other face. Nobody's at his table. My stupid ass walks by and buys a stupid shirt or something. And then he passes away a couple years later, so I'm like, damn it! But I did, I did buy his uh, his signature secondhand, but it's not the same. You like sitting there and saying hello to someone, you're shaking their hand, and telling them how much you love their work. Because love the face, man. And yeah, I wish I could take that one back. I was just gonna say someone who's not even dead yet. So <laughs> I was gonna say David MG. <laughs> I'm like, he's the way he's not even passed. So, yeah, I mean, that's my current regret, but 
Yeah, he's just he's yeah. not doing cons anymore. Health, yeah. he's, he's in ill health, so it's uh, kind of you know. For me, there's no one I regret. So thankfully, uh, all the people that I could have had at cons, I went to. You know, uh, for the ones that passed anyway. So I'm super happy about that. I think Craven would be near the top of the list, though, of people because I have you know Carpenter's autograph, I have Romero's autograph, I have Toby Hooper's autograph. So I'm missing a Craven, really. Um, you know, Sam Raimi as well is another one. I have his autograph. So they would be really cool to have Craven and not just, and maybe one day I will pick up a Craven, but to have a Craven on my Nightmare on Elm Street poster, like I do on my Halloween poster and my Dawn poster and my Evil Dead poster, you know, it would be so cool and I'll never have that. So uh, it probably would be my biggest regret. But, but if I'm going for any dead celebrity in my lifetime, Vincent Price, but I wasn't a big horror fan and you know when i was 10 so <laughs> unfortunately uh well i didn't know vincent price though because i watched hilarious house of frankenstein but it's not like i was a big fan of his at that time all right moving on to shaylin little three-chord me what do you think sets craven apart from other horror directors um i think he wasn't afraid to do different stuff you know i think a lot of hard directors will go back to sort of the same well you know sort of like i mean i love james wan but he's kind of been lumped in after saw he's kind of just been exclusively sort of ghost movies but craven was all over the map man he did a bunch of random shit and we just went over his whole filmography and he uh he did different stuff so i'll give him credit for that and he wasn't afraid to to take some risks yeah, I think what set him, sets him apart from a lot of the guys and girls out there is that he launched two of the most famous franchises that are still going right now. So I think that's a, a huge honor for him to have. Yeah, I agree with that. He defined the 80s and 90s of horror in a lot of ways. So that's what sets him apart. And he took a lot of risks. You know, if you look at his filmography, especially if I compare it to Stuart Gordon, the last retrospective we did, uh, Stuart Gordon pretty much stayed in his lane for the majority of his career. He did make a couple weird offshoot ones, like he did a baseball one uh, that was kind of like an SNL skit and stuff like that. But once he went horror, he kind of stayed horror. Whereas here, you're going from fucking a porno to horror to a Disney film, back to horror, then a fucking feel-good story about inner-city kids <laughs> with a music teacher... And then back to horror, it was it's like all over the place, and he wasn't afraid to take risks. Now, whether or not he just did that for money, I don't know. Um, but he's definitely, uh, you know, a director that tried different things, and I appreciate him for that. Next movie, next uh, question, Horror Babe 13. Uh, just going to rephrase the question a little bit. Do you think having a porn career helped him eventually with his horror career later in the future? Because you do see early in his career some influences with his porn career in a weird way that is an interesting take i don't know maybe right i mean it's some sort of start into filmmaking so you know setting up certain shots maybe i i don't know it's it's such a different the, the underball the, shot is really essential <laughs> yeah. well the ba- <laughs> i mean honestly like a weird thing that you know the think about the bathtub scene right never on elm street i mean he probably did some shots like that in his porn career. Uh, so, you know, you know, maybe, I mean, yeah. So I'll maybe it's such a different beast though, you know, with porn movies and actual like legit movies, but I think maybe some of the shots. Yeah. I think any, anytime you pick up a camera and make something, it helps you get better for next time. So definitely with that aspect, but yeah, you know, 
porn and horror have something in common and everyone wants the money shot so to speak right so i think that correlates and i'm, I'm not even joking like you got the porn money shot and then you got the gore money shot and you combine them two together just switch blood out with other fluids and yeah i think you got something there yeah we have to remember that he was a porn you know a director editor and subsequently a horror director at a time when both were taboo and i think there were more similarities between the horror and porn genre than there were with drama comedy and horror at that time you know at least in the public eye so i think there are a lot of similarities in a way of structure and going against society a lot of the films that you watch uh, you'll see in the 60s 70s a little bit in the 80s are anti-establishment you know they're uh, romero's fucking one of the masters at that in my opinion of making movies against the establishment now he did it subtly in a lot of his movies and you know some things maybe a little less subtle but it i think that probably helped his career is being you know into porn and kind of developing some of those feelings and putting them on screen in especially his early, early films her next question i believe there's a podcast named after the last house on the left what podcasts or any others do you guys think are based on other directors? Can you think of a podcast that's based off another director's work? I know there are a ton of Nightmare on Elm Street. There's a lot ones. of play on words for sure. Yeah, sure you can oh, we did, that. we did, right? So, yes, yeah, we did ours yeah, after a movie. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. but uh, yeah, I mean, I think everybody sort of does uh, yeah, little fun clever. little plays, you know. So even our me and Todd's last podcast was a play off of um, Leprechaun. So. <laughs> Yeah. Your guys that paint. Yep. <laughs> yeah. No. I, I, I don't know any off the top of my head. I'm. Uh, yeah, I got nothing. I'm mostly like a book listener, but I am listening to the complete history of the Roman Empire. If anyone's interested in that, which I highly doubt you are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm. I'm sure there's a ton of them out there for sure. I mean, we all we're all fans of horror movies, so naturally, you know, you want to take a name that derives off something that you love in the horror genre. The final question we have tonight, kind of a an interesting one. Back to this is Cody. Would you guys work in porn if it led to a successful movie career in the horror genre? Done. <laughs> yes, of Absolutely. course. Hundred percent. Whether it be behind the camera, on camera, wherever you need me. <laughs> or both. Joe, Joe, Joe Snake, <laughs> yeah. baby. Joe yeah, Snake. Joe, yeah. Joe Snake. <laughs> I'm his yeah. agent. Let's make some fucky fucky. So thank you everyone for the questions. We could not do this segment without you. All right. What do you guys score? Wes Craven's entire filmography, if you had to. It's tricky. Man, you know, Craven, an interesting career for sure, but you cannot deny that he created two of the biggest horror franchises of all time and two of just the biggest horror movies of all time in Nightmare on Elm Street and Scream. But he had some stinkers in there. I don't think any like absolute bombs may other than maybe, you know, swamp thing, but everything else I found to be watchable at least. I think it's interesting because I think, you know, we go back to our last perspective with Stuart Gordon. I think Stuart Gordon had a more uh, consistent movie career where he was putting out solid movie after solid movie. But so Stuart Gordon, other than reanimator, I don't think he ever had anything that was like a 10 out of 10, you know what I mean? Or a five out of five, but Craven did. He had multiple five to in my opinion, multiple five out of five movies. And here's another reason Craven had a great career. 
you go and look at our top of the decade list. He had top 1970s, 1980s, 1990s. He made a movie that was in the top 10 of all those lists and Hills Have Eyes, Nightmare on Elm Street, and Scream. And Scream and Nightmare on Elm Street being very high on both of those lists. So Craven, uh, I mean, an absolute legend of the genre. If I were to rate him overall for his career, I mean, it's hard not to give him, honestly, a five out of five just for what he did in this genre. So, I mean, but he had some stingers. So I'm going to give him a four and a half out of five. I mean, his legacy is he'll be remembered forever. So, you know, and yeah, he's just, you can't deny it. Yeah. It's, it's tricky, man, because I only have three films of his filmography that are above a four and that scream Hills of eyes and nightmare on Elm street. But I have a shit ton that are threes. I got, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. And then the rest are twos and ones and half star. So undoubtedly huge on the on the legacy of the genre, but I'm gonna put him in a three and a half, but that does not like sell short to three amazing films that he did. So yeah, so I watched them all and I have a lot of stinkers in mine. A lot of one and a halfs, two, two and a halfs. Uh, in fact, the majority of films are kind of in that wheelhouse, but I can't deny his like absolute bangers, you know, and his importance to the genre and how he changed the horror industry. And he does have some genuinely great films as well, you know, so I'm actually getting a four out of five because despite all of the kind of crap he, he made, he would follow up eventually with these big movies. And something that's really impressive about Craven as well is he didn't like have a five-year like span where he's amazing you know he would kind of do this amazing film then go into these kind of obscure not as good films and then come out with another banger and then the same thing again and then back with another banger like it wasn't all like he had he didn't have a prime you know it's not like you could say all his great films are from 82 to 87 they're really in different decades all over the place so it's like he was almost developing you know like these big bangers through trial and error with other films you know we talked about with vampire in brooklyn how it kind of helped shape scream in a lot of ways we talked about I forget which one it was it summer fear or deadly blessing or one of them was like had heavy influences for nightmare on elm street it's almost like he was testing out ideas before getting to his main events and i highly respect him for it so four to five for sure But to answer your question, Todd, from the beginning of the episode, I think, you know, Stuart Gordon doesn't have the big hits that Craven does. But if I had to rewatch one of the filmographies, I'd probably go Stuart Gordon because the majority of his films are three and three and a half plus for me, whereas there's a lot of Craven stinkers I would not want to rewatch again. So if I'm watching full retrospectives, I would prefer to watch Stuart Gordon. If I had to watch a top five, I'd definitely go Craven. So you guys yeah. were ready to announce our next retrospective? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll give it to you, Todd, since I think uh, you're the master on the podcast. Master on the podcast. <laughs> of, of, of this particular <laughs> subject. Uh, master Bader. Master. <laughs> uh, my favorite director. It's no mystery. Mr. George A. Romero himself. Um, Joe and I, if you're been with us a long time with the previous show you might have listened to the episode joe and i did but we're gonna go rewatch them as many as possible i'm gonna try to do all of them again because he's my favorite director there's also been 
three or four titles that have found the light of day since we did that like four or five years ago. So it's going to be some new stuff out there as well, which I cannot wait to check out. Yeah, so that's George A. Romero. I think he's got the best career out there. So we'll see if that still stands up after watching Survival and Island of the Dead again. And it's also going to coincide with a event, right, we're going to be doing that we're hoping that the fans can meet up with us as, or the listeners can meet up with us as well at. Yeah, that's right. Every year we uh, we try to do something outside of Salem, you know, every year. Uh, this year we did Texas Frightmare Weekend, which Joe and I attended. And next year we're hoping to go to uh, Living Dead Weekend in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, which is usually, I think, the first weekend in June or the last weekend of May. It depends on the year. But I think that'd be super fun, you know, to meet up with people at the mall Monroeville Mall, where Dawn of the Dead was filmed. Uh, check out some filming locations. You know, of course, there's Dawn filming locations. Uh, there's the uh, Night of the Living Dead filming location, not too far either. So, yeah, I think that would be fun. And it would coincide all together with our uh, Romero retrospective, which isn't as big. It's, I think it's like 22 movies. So, And a lot of them are shorts. So it's actually really like 15 movies plus a few shorts. So really looking forward to that one. All right, guys, that is going to be it for this week's episode. We hope you enjoyed our retrospective on Wes Craven. Next week, we are going to be doing a very special back-to-school episode where we will be reviewing The Faculty from the 90s. In the meantime, you can keep up with the podcast, uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Threads, a little bit of everything. Just search the Horror Squad podcast. We also have Movie Club coming up this Friday, the day the episode releases, where Steve is going to be showing Maximum Overdrive. How can you watch it with the crew? All you got to do is join our Discord, which, of course, is the absolute best way to keep up with the podcast. Just send us a DM through any of our socials, and we will get you a special link to that Discord, completely free to join. Or you can email us, thehorrorsquadpodcast at gmail.com. We also have merch available, tpublic.com. Just search the Horror Squad Podcast over on there, and you can uh, get some awesome Horror Squad merch. And I think that's about it, ladies and gentlemen. So we will see you next week for the faculty. See ya. Right. Bye. I have a very sort of ambivalent view of myself as um, as an artist or as a filmmaker. I mean, somebody once, when I was first starting in films in New York, says, if you want something on your gravestone in, your, in the film business, I think the best thing is filmmaker. If you can honestly say that, that's all you need to say. And that's, that, I think, what I would like that on my gravestone, along with whatever you do, don't fall asleep.